ChartChat is a member of the Tiege.fm network from WTJU Radio. Find out more at Tiege.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. again everybody this is tanner green here one half of the chart chat team coming at you again with a third installment this time of my year-end albums list again for those of you that have not listened to the first two i highly recommend you go back check out some of the cool music we're going through there and for this particular episode i'm going to be highlighting i believe it's eight albums this time that i think are the best albums that hit the billboard 200 during the third quarter of the year So we're talking July, August, and September, those chart weeks. I listened to basically everything that debuted on the Billboard 200 that week and have distilled it down for your listening pleasure. And hopefully you find something you like from this. Uh, It's exciting because it gives us the opportunity to look at a wider variety of music than we might get to just by looking at the Hot 100. And of course, as I mentioned in past episodes, this will also be potentially a spinoff podcast that will start up sometime next year still sort of toying around with the idea but in the meantime we're going to dive right in with our first album ahead of ourselves from Nine Inch Nails' latest album, Bad Witch. This is the ninth album by Trent Reznor's long-running industrial group and their first full-length release since 2013's Hesitation Marks. Despite this gap, Reznor has hardly been quiet in recent years. Aside from a handful of EPs released under the Nine Inch Nails moniker, Reznor has also been hard at work scoring a string of high-profile movies. The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, all films directed by David Fincher, and all soundtracks that garnered a great deal of acclaim and even award nominations. Chief among these is Reznor's work on The Social Network, which actually received the 2011 Oscar for Best Original Score. Bad Witch, meanwhile, demonstrates that Reznor's absence from the album format has hardly dented his popularity. The release debuted at number 12 on the Billboard 200, marking Nine Inch Nails' 10th top 20 entry on that chart. Listeners familiar with the band's most popular songs like The Hand That Feeds will recognize much of Bad Witch. Synthesizers squelch and moan, drums hammer away with no end in sight, 
and Reznor's voice runs the gamut from filtered muttering to full-bore screaming. Ahead of Ourselves is especially visceral, with the course's extreme changes in dynamics and a queasy synth churn that almost sounds flesh-like. However, Bad Witch also ventures beyond Nine Inch Nails' stylistic wheelhouse. Tracks like God Break Down the Door brush up against jazz with prominent saxophone lines, and Reznor's weary vocals on Over and Out recall David Bowie's Black Star while roaming through a gentler sonic landscape that verges almost on ambient. As most of you likely know, that was Nice For What, from Drake's massive double album, Scorpion. We previously talked about this album and its historic sales success, so I won't belabor that point too much. Scorpion is only the fourth album in history to spawn seven top ten hits, it broke single-day streaming records on both Spotify and Apple Music, and it set a new record for most simultaneous Hot 100 entries with all 25 tracks charting. Longtime listeners of Chart Chat could probably anticipate my inclusion of Scorpion on this year-end list because I've made no secret of both my love of its production and my frustration with the very predictable backlash. As soon as news of Drake's child surfaced, as soon as he lost in his feud with Pusha T, it was virtually guaranteed that reception of his album would be mixed, especially in a year where he dominated the pop charts. And yet, just like Taylor Swift's reputation, I maintain the public image woes obscure what are, in fact, a strong batch of songs, this is especially true for Scorpion, which manages the impressive feat of being 90 minutes long and only having a couple duds among its 25 tracks. For every song like I'm Upset, there are at least five songs on par with Mob Ties or Can't Take a Joke. Immaculate beats undergirding a musician who still has an uncanny ability to balance rhythm and melody within a single vocal line. And that's only on the first half, the ostensibly rap half. Scorpion's second half, billed as the R&B side, features some of the year's iciest backing tracks, with Drake somehow simultaneously conveying warmth and detachment on tracks like Finesse and Summer Games. And yet, who am I, of all people, to deny the eternal staying power of a joyous celebration like Nice For What? Its hyper-repetitive final minute still ranks as one of my favorite pop moments of the summer, whipping up a frenzy that not even In My Feelings can match.
CIDs. Got a smoking on cookie, now look at she Chinese. When I ask her, she going, that mean that she got leave. Like we taking a picture, baby, we got cheese. Came for five minutes, damn, she not pleased. I'm like, hold up. That was 1 a.m. from Meek Mill's EP, Legends of the Summer. Frequent listeners of this podcast will probably remember our discussion of Legends opening track, Philadelphia, a number of months ago. And as with Scorpion, I won't spend too much time rehashing Meek's background here. Back in April, Meek was released from prison, where he was previously serving out a controversial judge's harsh sentence for a minor parole violation for an arrest that might not have been legitimate in the first place. Meek's legal entanglements led to a swell in public support, And since his release from prison, he has released both the aforementioned Legends of the Summer and the full-length album Championships, which debuted at number one earlier this month. And while Championships is most certainly a good album worth your time, particularly the opening track intro, something about the EP format feels suited to Meek's explosive style of rapping. It's a lean four songs, only 13 minutes long, with no time wasted. I previously praised Philadelphia for Meek's impeccable ability to be aggressive and quick on his feet, And that's arguably a trait even more valuable on a club track like 1AM. He powers through the beat drops, plays off the pluck strings in the second half of each verse, shifts his flow as needed, and similar to Cardi's performance on Bardier Cardi, sounds like he's having the time of his life. was Wanna Be from the internet's fourth album, Hive Mind. In a year where R&B took major steps in its welcome return to chart prominence, this ranks as one of the genre's best and most consistent albums of the year. For their part, the internet have enjoyed a similar increase in commercial success since their founding in 2011. That year, the internet emerged from Los Angeles hip-hop collective Odd Future, the same group that, while now dormant, counts Frank Ocean, Tyler the Creator, and Earl Sweatshirt among their ranks. Odd Future members Sid and Matt Martian spearheaded the internet's formation, and in collaboration with a bevy of fellow group members and other collaborators, they released their debut album Purple Naked Ladies in 2011. Purple, in its 2013 follow-up Feel Good, failed to broach the Billboard 200, but they established a momentum that eventually broke through in 2015. That year, the internet released Ego Death, an album that not only hit the top 10 of the top R&B and hip-hop albums chart, and reached number 89 on the Billboard 200, but also garnered the group a Grammy nomination for Best Urban Contemporary Album. And now, here in 2018, Hive Mind only furthers the internet's success, notching a career high number 26 on the Billboard 200. Hive Mind is a downright luxurious listen, full of supple bass lines and airtight drumming. 
An instrumental version of this album would honestly be delightful on its own, but once you add in Sid's plush vocals, it makes the proposition even more enticing. Recalling the best work of Janet Jackson, she pulls and keeps you close, never breaking a sweat as she glides through melodies that are honestly deceptively catchy. They linger with you much longer than I ever thought they would. See like the life I feel. See like the life I feel is a little distant. Yeah. Seems like the life I need. Seems like the life I need is a little distant. Yeah. Like the remedy. Yeah. Sit back while I ride the beat. Do it on repeat, repeat. Sense controlling me. Yeah. Angels halos over me. I need blessings and my peace. You've been out the streets. Yeah. Calling, I'm in on my G's, we've been going for a week Now you on a peak, yeah Hands out why they tryna reach, I can't even get that deep Told you I don't teach, yeah Practice on no never preach, practice on no never preach Infiltrate the enemy, moving on them randomly Feels like the life I need's a little distant Yes, indeed. That was Travis Scott with the track Astro Thunder. This comes from the Houston rapper's third album, Astro World, which, to be blunt, might be the most sonically daring number one album released this year. It even landed at number seven on Billboard's year-end list. And Sicko Mode is, as of this recording, still the number three song in the country after spending some time atop the Hot 100. And for the record, in case it's not clear, I so deeply admire Travis Scott's commitment to unconventional textures and song structure, and the man's ability to make those innovations palatable to mainstream listeners is just as impressive. Astro World, Scott's second number one album, pays homage to the man's hometown of Houston, specifically the now-demolished Six Flags theme park that shared the album's title. To be sure, it's easy to think of Astroworld in those freewheeling terms, given how spacey and almost candy-colored many of these textures sound. They loom so large and so deep and just vast that the people almost become lost inside. They almost become peripheral. And to that end, one of the more common criticisms I've read of this album uh, comes from writers wishing Scott and his rapping had a more assertive or personal presence. And I think these critics misunderstand the aim of Travis Scott's music. Where Kanye West, for instance, placed his own persona at the center of these very elaborate constructions like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Travis Scott uses similarly intricate structures to opposite ends. Scott's voice, in the studio at least, is so filtered and sounds so far away that it almost amounts to a denial of presence. The song Watch that he released earlier this year with Lil Uzi Vert and Kanye West, and I feel like I'm missing one other person, I feel like I'm blanking on it, but... If you listen to that song, Watch, it doesn't show up on Astroworld, but there are parts where he's doing the the yeah ad-libs or something similar, and it sounds like he's coming from some cave just way off in the distance. It's fascinating. In any case, once you remove Scott's voice from the countervailing visual and kinetic energy of a live performance, his voice becomes just another texture to blend in among all the others which is high praise given how good Astroworld sounds in general. Dreaming on the door. Get it. Damn 
That was Orlando, the opening track from Blood Orange's fourth album titled Negro Swan. Blood Orange is another one-man project similar to Eden, which I mentioned and discussed in the first installment of this series. Aside from the occasional guest instrumentalist and uh, an array of accompanying vocalists, British artist Devante Hines produces all of the sounds on his albums. Hines' work goes well beyond the Blood Orange Project, though. He was a member of the 2000s rock band Test Icicles and has written songs for such luminaries as Solange Knowles and Mariah Carey. Like the internet, Blood Orange has enjoyed increasing popularity over the course of the decade, first broaching the Billboard 200 with 2013 sophomore album Cupid Deluxe and now cracking the top 100 of that chart with Negro Swan debuting up at number 98. Compared with Hive Mind, though, this album is a bit more off-kilter. Drum beats exit and enter unexpectedly, harmonies rise and fall along odd angles, and on tracks like Holy Will and Mineta Creek, song structures jump cut from one set of textures to another, or just end prematurely. The chorus synth line on Orlando is a representative example. It buzzes up to its home pitch, and then just when you expect it to continue with some sort of counter melody, it instead cuts off abruptly. So the grooves are still there, and they're wonderful. They're just a bit crooked. I'm still affiliated with the chain snatches and the trappers and name hackers. Yeah, real bosses, they gon' take losses and they never complain that. Yeah, I lead a venue in a Rolls Royce, then I jump on a plane at I get you hit like it ain't matter. From my post, see the brain matter. I know that hate is contagious, most of these niggas be playing courageous. Truthfully told, I'm still in the hood, so I don't be saying I made it. It was a toll to go to the hood, you had to pay it to claim it. We had the O's inside of the hood, we had the way and contain it. I make a plane exchange it, then we gon' cook up whatever's remaining. My head are riding in the passenger. I heard it, they wanted with me. And I've been diamonds in the Matthew. As long as I'm paying they bail, they coming for free. Hit the spot and name patterns. He can prepare right under the T. Some advice for my challenges. That was Long Night from Don Season 2, one of a couple mixtapes released this year by Bronx-based rapper Don Q. Quick side note, the first voice you heard on that clip is actually Lil Dirk, the Chicago rapper who makes a feature on the track. But after that, the bulk of the clip that we heard, that's Don Q. Don Q, a.k.a. LaQuincy Anderson, has had a fairly short professional career as a musician. Back in 2016, he signed a local record label, High Bridge, along with the more widely popular A Boogie With The Hoodie. And after appearing on one of that label's compilation albums that same year, Don Q released his very first mixtape, Don Season. And so, that brings us to the present with this sequel, Don Season 2, which marks Don Q's very first appearance on the Billboard 200, charting at a notable 93 and hitting number 46 on the top R&B and hip-hop albums chart. This gives me hope that Don Q will continue to do well in the coming years, even if his style isn't necessarily at the center of recent hip-hop buzz. And that's a roundabout way of saying that Don Q is an excellent technician, working in a rap scene that no longer prioritizes such qualities like it used to. He sounds as if he could rap forever on album closer Still Feel Me rattling off assonances with ease, and his dynamic variance gives each track a subtle, undulating rhythm beyond the explicit division of syllables. And that's even furthered by his excellent rhythmic doubling that goes on in his backing vocals. He'll finish a phrase, and then his other self that he's recording, his sort of ad-libs that fill in the ends of phrases, will sync up with the continued rhythm that he left off at the end of the phrase and sort of let it 
it's as if he's echoing himself. And it, so it gives it this very bobbing forward momentum that is slightly addicting, I have to admit. And Don Q is an interested in technique for its own sake. He combines familiar bravado with a sense of resilience and inexplicable charisma, particularly, again, with that echo technique that would be impossible to achieve without the precise sense of timing he possesses. With their dog after the war We're strolling down Christopher Street When they stopped in a men's store With all of the mannequins Dressed in the style That brought tears to their immigrant eyes Just like the penguins The moon that was renee and georgette magritte with their dog after the war a breathtaking song whose title will leave you short of breath this track is from Paul Simon's latest album, In the Blue Light, which takes obscurities from his back catalog and recreates them with new arrangements, instrumentation, harmonies, and so on. Like Joan Baez, whose Whistle Down the Wind appeared in the first installment of this list series, Paul Simon is something of a legend, with a career dating back to his first collaborations with Art Garfunkel in the mid-1950s. These two men would go on to form one of the most popular folk pop duos of the 1960s, crafting tracks like The Boxer and Mrs. Robinson, whose popularity endures to this day. Simon began a successful solo career in the early 1970s, collecting six top ten songs and seven top ten albums in the years since. And In the Blue Light, meanwhile, debuted at number 70 this September, an event I'm inclined to attribute to minimal marketing, considering its predecessor peaked at number three only two years ago. And I'm assuming that listeners had similar first reactions to mine, questioning the necessity of revisiting old songs instead of writing new material. And yet, the arrangements here are often so delicate and so beautiful that they more than justify the entire project. The album's early tracks often dip into jazz instrumentation, but the most striking moments come in the second half, when the tempos drop and Simon can let his voice settle into the grain that only comes with age. There's no hurry. Instead... Simon invites us to make ourselves comfortable around the fire while he spins another yarn. Like Joan Baez, Paul Simon announced his retirement from touring this year. And like Baez, Simon has done so on a high note, releasing an album that exudes poise. And that's going to do it here on this bonus episode. Again, eight albums from July through September that hit the Billboard 200 that I think are just marvelous. Very worth your time. And again... As with part two of the series, I'm going to dispense with the usual info that usually comes at the end of the main episodes here, the, uh, the lists and the contact information and the reminder to rate us on your podcast platform of choice, tell your friends about us, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess I wound up doing that. But in any case, stay tuned. Go listen to Caitlin's uh, list of her favorite albums, and we will catch you around. 
Thanks for listening. What do you think they found hidden away in the cabinet cold of their hearts? The pain.